Let's face it, even if we work in healthcare and are trying to improve things, we're still witness to patients, families, and staff running into brick walls in our hospitals and clinics because of red tape, restrictions, runarounds, and revolving doors. Regular WIHI listeners know that I love alliteration. Anyway, the issues run the gamut from annoyances to poor care experiences, and some of what goes on doesn't always get noticed. Things move so fast or get flagged. That's why it was truly unique when IHI's Leadership Alliance came forward with a mini-campaign earlier this year they dubbed Breaking the Rules. It's a way to identify, encircle, and act upon unnecessary daily roadblocks in your organization, including myths and misunderstandings that wind up as rigid rules. We're going to find out more on this edition of WIHI, and I want to welcome you to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live bi-weekly, and after the show, you can find us on IHI.org and on iTunes or your favorite podcast distributor. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. My hope for today's WIHI is that you'll get inspired by what you hear and maybe try something similar in your own organization. So let's get right to our guests and topic at hand. But first, here's IHI's John Gothier. He reminds us how to make the most of your time with us today. Thanks, John. Thanks, uh, Matt. Just a few items today to make the most of everybody's program. On the right hand of the screen is our chat window. If you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions. So make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens up the floor to questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see all questions and comments being shared. Now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto the computer and listening to WIHI by streaming audio coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a less reliable Internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. A simple solution to any audio hiccup may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that problem persists, please let folks at IHI Customer Service know. Their number is on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, I provided a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive over at IHI.org slash WIHI, along with today's chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they'll send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here on WIHI, and we need your help for that. Please take the time after the program to fill out a quick survey and let us know what we've done. Back to you, Matt. All right. Thanks, John. We'll turn to the chat and your comments and questions at about the halfway mark of the show. We welcome tweeting during and after the program. Thanks for including at the IHI and the hashtag WIHI in your tweets so we can capture the conversation on social media and engage with others who are following along. So we have several people on the phone with us today, and a reminder that uh, lengthier and detailed bios are available on the slides you'll see. And if you are just joining us by phone today and you're not looking at a computer screen, you can get all the slides by dialing info at, I, excuse me, let's try that, emailing info at IHI.org, and uh, those slides can be sent to you. So several people on the phone with us today, and we have a great big panel, in part to show you the variety and the energy that this campaign generated. So we hope you'll get a feel for that and bear with us as we sort of move through a lot of wonderful people and organizational work uh, rather quickly. Helen McPhee is the Chief Transformation Officer for Memorial Care. That's a not-for-profit health system in Southern California. Uh, There's Helen in that very nice photo. Welcome, Helen. So glad you can be part of the program. All right, Helen's line. All right, she's there. We know she's there because we just spoke to her. So we're going to keep going here. Carolyn Candiello is the Vice President of Quality and Patient Safety for Greater Baltimore Medical Center, or GBMC Healthcare. That's an independent community healthcare system in Townsend, Maryland. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you, Matt. All right. And at Carolyn's side is Kate O'Connor Devlin, an administrative director at GBMC, who was asked by hospital leadership to ignite some of this soul-searching among staff about potentially unnecessary rules. We'll hear more about that in a minute. Welcome, Kate. Thank you, Madge. Fabulous. Rhonda Holden is with us. She joined Kittitas Valley Healthcare in the state of Washington in December 2009, and she serves as the chief nursing officer and patient care administrator there. Welcome, Rhonda. 
Thank you very much. And last but not least, we've got Cheryl Woodman, Chief Strategy Officer at Women's College Hospital in Toronto, Canada. Glad you're with us today as well, Cheryl. Thanks so much, Match. All right. So, Saranya, oh, and my goodness, uh, and here we have Saranya Lore. <laughs> Not to be taken for granted in the studio with me, heaven's sake. Sarian Law is the Executive Director of North America Strategy and Operations for IHI. She leads efforts to accelerate health system transformation in the U.S. through key programming, including this IHI Leadership Alliance. So welcome, Sarania. And the first question goes to you. So breaking the rules has a beginning, and it starts with the fact that if it weren't for the Leadership Alliance, a patient experience at Memorial Care might have stayed within the walls of Memorial Care. So uh, it's a great story. So to kick things off, tell or remind our listeners about the Leadership Alliance and how you came to hear this story from Memorial Care. Thanks, Sarnia. Thanks, Madge. So the Leadership Alliance began about 18 months ago when a group of healthcare leaders came together to make a decision. So they were discussing a lot of the external market forces and regulatory and policy levers like the Affordable Care Act and MACRA, and they began to realize that that all of those external forces were not going to be sufficient to help them meet their aims and aspirations. So in their words, to deliver care better than we've ever seen, to create health better than we've ever known, and to do so at costs that we can all afford, we wouldn't be able to do that solely by responding to changes that were coming from the outside in. To do it, healthcare would really have to take the reins and lead from the inside out. And they began by thinking about new models and new mindsets. So we remember Paul Batalden's phrase, every, every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. So what are the new principles that help guide a new sort of system and transformation? And they came up with a number of things that are now called uh, the IHI uh, Alliance's R- New Rules for Radical Redesign. So some of these principles, things like change the balance of power, create joy in work, move knowledge, not people, and assume abundance, helps, helped spark some bold and inventive ideas of how healthcare could deliver on the full promise of the triple aim. Now, operationalizing these principles in their own organizations, of course, proved to be challenging, and we can imagine why. There's a number of reasons. One of them became surprisingly clear, and that is that we have met the enemy, and it is us. And I, and I say that very facetiously, but there was a story that Helen shared um, during one of the All Alliance calls that really uh, helped articulate so beautifully the challenge that a lot of these organizations were facing. Okay, very, very good. All right, Helen, I heard your name. <laughs> yeah, you did. Good morning. Uh, yes, uh, so thank you so much uh, for being part. So let's get to this story and uh, what, what you shared shared. Uh, and uh, I think it's a very kind of familiar one is what we're going to find out. Um, and But it's it's an interesting lesson in what happens when you sort of bring it forward. So thanks, Helen. You're welcome. So good morning from California, or good afternoon, wherever you are. Uh, so our story started with we've been focused for a good number of years on involving patients and families, as many of you are, in our lean teams, redesigning care and asking them to serve on our patient and family advisory committees. And, of course, both of those support the IHI tenets of nothing about me without me and asking people what matters to them. So this story that we shared with the IHI Alliance on one of the conversations was it's okay to break the rules and the impact that has on people both those we care for and our care team. So here you go. Uh, Monica was a new mom-to-be, and at the time of the story, she was 34 weeks along in her pregnancy. After a very normal course at 34 weeks, she suffered a uterine rupture at home, which many on the call will recognize as a medical emergency. Luckily, Brian, the dad, was working from home that morning. He recognized she needed help and rushed her to Saddlemack Memorial and our emergency department. Um, fast forwarding and hours of surgery later to deliver the baby and save Monica. Baby Natalie was fine, though premature, of course, and in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit. But Monica was fighting for her life in the ICU, needing yet another surgery to stop the bleeding. Brian was beside himself with worry, and Monica was giving up. The story ends well, um, and you'll see on the slides as a picture of the family. 
Um, Brian and Monica and Natalie came back to our all management team celebration to thank the team um, and to share the many things that mattered to their family. And I just want to highlight three things that they told us. First, everyone from the volunteers to the physicians to the staff and the CEO stopped Brian in the halls and shared how much they cared and were praying for them. Secondly, a student nurse sat with Monica and held her hand whenever Brian needed a quick break from his bedside vigil. And thirdly, the staff broke the rules. With a little bit of manager and physician help, um, we had a policy that babies can't be taken to the ICU environment. Well thought of, I'm sure, when it was created. Um, and um, certainly they couldn't be taken from the NICU where babies are so small and fragile and, you know, um, perhaps could get infections and the like. But Monica was letting go. The staff saw this, collaborated with the whole care team very quickly to get Natalie up to the ICU to see her mother, perhaps for the last time. This is where I usually break down telling the story, so I'm going to try not to, but that made all the difference in the world. Monica started to fight to hold on again. She saw Natalie and, you know, gave her fight, you know, another chance. And the family credits this one action as the turning point. So you can see the pictures um, of the care team. You can see Brian's family and Monica and Natalie. You can actually see his brother's family, which, interestingly enough, they also had a complicated maternity course a year prior, had delivered successfully at Saddleback, and that's why he drove there that morning. So it's really two things, um, two last things. We've shared this story across our system with our teams and our boards in order to learn from it and make sure we've changed this rule everywhere. And as a remarkable follow-up, Brian, who actually worked at Toyota at the time, became so enamored of our focus on lean and joint work that he now works for us as a lean fellow. Uh, And there's a link to their story on the slide. So I guess in summary, it's the touching things that people remember. And the conversation with the IHI Leadership Alliance was that some rules are meant to be broken, bent, or abandoned altogether. Wow. Okay. Well, Helen, uh, thanks for uh, the shortened version uh, of an already very, very powerful story. We appreciate it. Uh, so more from Helen uh, as we move through um, our hour here. I want to go back to Sarania for a moment. So I'm curious, what is it about this story that got the Leadership Alliance thinking, hmm, what about breaking the rules? You know, it obviously uh, it started something. Right. So this first, Helen's example, as you shared earlier, Match, that is one that countless organizations and probably every listener on this call can relate to. What it helped us realize as Alliance members is that sometimes we as leaders, uh, all with the best of intentions, of course, might create policies, rules, or promote habits that actually do very little to improve care for patients or improve the experience for staff. And this, you know, when this was mentioned on a call, it really sparked a movement amongst the members that were on. Immediately, we could all think of so many examples of rules or policies that we were frustrated by as leaders, as administrators, uh, thinking about our experiences as patients or as families. And so we thought, well, if all of us on this call could, there was about 40 of us on a call, if all of us could come up with this many examples of things that we felt got in the way of delivering or receiving optimal care, then how many more might the organizations that we work for come up with? And so we decided to find out. We said for one week in January, let's all ask our patients, our families, our staff, let's all ask one simple question. If you could break any rule in service of better care, what would it be and why? Okay. Simple. <laughs> Simple but profound, perhaps, in terms of what unleashed, unleashed, ex- excuse me. So thanks, Sarenya. All right, let me, we'll keep moving the story along. Uh, and uh, let's, let's turn next now to Cheryl Woodman. Uh, so we're jumping into the story at Women's College Hospital at the point where, where you've now gotten input from some of the same sources. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Sarah is correct. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. Back, backtrack here. Carolyn and Kate. All right. 
GBMC raised its hand to take part in a big way, starting with soliciting feedback about rules and barriers from patients, families, providers, and staff. So tell us how you did this. And I'm curious, uh, did anybody say, what do you mean breaking the rules? Uh, did that cause a certain amount of uh, aversion? What are you guys talking about? Sorry about that. Go right ahead, and then we'll get to Cheryl. No, no problem, Madge. Uh, great story, Helen. Um, I actually hadn't heard that before. It was very moving. Um, at GBMC, you know, we, we we follow the rules as a safety behavior, uh, but we recognize that, you know, our vision is that we provide the care we would want for our own loved ones, and sometimes our rules get in the way of that. And so when Kate and I were on this first call, we both kind of looked at each other and said, you know, this is something we can really get our heads around. And Kate's going to talk a little bit about how we approach this. So one of the things we did was, you know, everybody's always looking for resources. How do we go out and gather this information? So we're very fortunate here in Maryland that we have Towson University and we have healthcare management students that work with us. So we tapped into our student and had her go ahead and go out and gather the information. But rather than just sending her out there on her own, I went with her. So a couple of things, we went out together and we took exactly the directions that we were given to go out and ask your staff and ask your um, patients and their families, was there anything that we, they encountered that interferes with their uh, good patient care? So I introduced her to the different units, the different staff members. We went to the different waiting rooms, and then I just kind of modeled for her exactly how we do, how she should do this. And she really went from there, and we created a spreadsheet, and it was amazing the information that she brought back. A couple of advantages were that, you know, she wasn't one of the staff, so, like, they didn't feel like they had to be careful about what they were saying. They really were honest and open with her about some of the stuff that really does get in their way of providing safe patient care. All right. So, Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I, I, I just, you know, wanted to say I think, uh, you know, this was great. Uh, our student was fabulous. She then took all of this data, compiled it into a spreadsheet. Um, during the Breaking the Rules Week, we expanded this, and um, we used our employee newsletter. Uh, we sent out um, a form stack submission, which is a sort of a survey monkey tool, and began to gather even more feedback. Uh, and right Right now, we're in the process of evaluating that and giving some feedback to our staff about what are some of the rules that are there for a good reason and what are some of the rules that uh, really um, could be broken to provide better care. And you're seeing on the slides right now uh, a couple of examples of those. That's great. Thank you very much. And again, uh, thanks, listeners. We're sort of roaring through a lot of really interesting information, uh, but uh, it'll all come together, I promise. So thank you, Carolyn and Kate. All right, now going to Cheryl. I, I somehow went racing up to Canada too quickly <laughs> uh, before going to Maryland. So now we're at Women's College Hospital uh, up there in Toronto, and uh, you've also gotten input from, I would imagine, some of the same sources as GBMC. So what did you do with what you learned? And welcome again, Cheryl. Thanks, Madge. You definitely don't want to be running up here today. It's a, it's a chilly one. Okay. Um, Women's College Hospital had amazing Breaking the Rules for Better Care Week, and the momentum has really continued. Uh, we're an academic, actually fully ambulatory hospital, and around here, and by that I suppose I do mean north of the border, we are known as the hospital that keeps people out of hospital. So we already like to think of ourselves as rule breakers and focused on generating system solutions. Um, and we say we're sort of born rule breakers because Women's College began in 1883 in response to the refusal of medical schools in Toronto to admit women. So we've pretty much been breaking rules ever since. In one week um, during Breaking the Rules, we received over 100 responses to our online survey from patients, from staff, physicians, and volunteers. People loved the idea of being rule breakers, and this was an opportunity for them to have the voice for change and creative solutions for better care. Since we at Women's College had just moved into a brand new building, and we're definitely still working out some of those kinks and infrastructure kinks, some very simple rules came up around things like ensuring better patient wayfinding signage, porter transport between appointments, and accessing water on the clinical floors even. 
So as if um, moving into a new building wasn't enough, uh, we're also implementing a new electronic patient record with EPIC. So a lot of other rules were very technology-focused. Patients wanted access to their medical records and lab results. Providers wanted better privacy systems so that they could text and email their patients um, safely. Overall, uh, there were some very tangible and potentially quick, quick wins, um, but with 100 responses, we did need to prioritize the list. So I'm here to tell you a little bit about how we did that. Uh, first off, we looked at number of times a rule was suggested. So there are some rules that were actually suggested you know, 10, 15 times, and so that became very obvious that this was an organizational issue that had to be addressed. We asked if the same, um, if the rules suggested would directly impact patient care, uh, because we did get a number of rules uh, that had other impacts. So this became part of our prioritization metric matrix. Things like uh, equipment challenges that could be fixed with new or better version of medical equipment. Mental health patients could book uh, multiple appointments at once, these kinds of things. We asked ourselves, what are we already doing? that perhaps hasn't been as widely or well communicated and that addresses this feedback. For example, uh, when we look at online booking, lab test results, medical record uh, platforms, we're already doing some of that work. So we wanted to make sure we were communicating that back. Of course, we looked at cost value. Can we afford the suggestion? Is it good value? Would, could we afford it into the future? And then we asked, what can we change in the next three to six months? We feel that the energy for this initiative can be maintained for that period of time at a high level, and it would build familiarity that could continue into next year's efforts because we really want to make this an annual event. So we did a bit of a review. The review started with the senior executive team who were provided with the full spreadsheet, as you saw in the last presentation, and a synopsis. There was tons of enthusiasm, and a small subgroup of that team agreed to meet, identify the top, top priorities and hash out what they thought that was, was feasible from a time and value perspective. Easy wins were the focus. We wanted six easy wins and we wanted to be able to change these things in the next three to six months. So we took our little roadshow to our physicians, directors, managers, staff, first to review the results and second to get their input and see who wanted to take on what in terms of solutionizing. I think it's very easy to fall into the idea that once the results are in, it's really up to the leadership to fix everything. But a lot of these rules were very operational in nature and required staff and clinicians to contribute to the solutions. So our team proposed that we would uh, try to break one rule a month for better patient care over the next six months. The broken rules are being profiled or showcased on our website, intranet, at organization-wide town halls, or in our Women's College Hospital public publication that's called Connect. Here on the slide, you see a photo of our chief IT um, who is breaking the rule uh, by implementation of my chart. We had so many responses from patients and clinicians who wanted to make sure patients had access to their own medical records. And in fact, that's something that we're working very hard on, on getting up and ready. So we, we wanted the branding theme continued uh, with the irreverence of breaking the rules because there was such a response to that irreverence. So you'll see here we play with word titles like rule maker turns rule breaker and caution, quality improvements at work. Our next focus will be on ensuring strategies for ongoing patient engagement and identifying rules uh, for better patient care. Overall, the exercise has let more relaxed kind of fun seep into the culture here at Women's. It's engaged folks in quality that matters to them at a local level. Um, rather than the sometimes overwhelming big Q quality at the organizational level. And yet these local improvements are really feeding up into the big Q. So now it's our role to make sure those links um, come into the broader quality strategy. All right. Well, thank you very much. And I can imagine uh, listeners might uh, be interested, but we'll hold this just for a moment, So, what some of your top uh, picks are, uh, the ones that you chose and the things that could be done in, in three to six months in addition to the electronic uh, health record rules issue. So we'll come back to that. But thank you very much, Cheryl. So before we go to Rhonda, I'm going to go back to Sarah for a moment uh, to kind of give us the, the big highlight 
level view of uh, what emerged really from, uh, I mean, we're hearing kind of uh, some nice stories, and they represented uh, a sort of a large thing that you were also trying to track as the Leadership Alliance. Thanks, Aaron. You. Thanks, Madgett. Um, and I will note that we actually did this at IHI as well. So Derek Feely, our president and CEO, said, well, if the Leadership Alliance is doing it and we're supporting that, then we should do it here too. So he asked all of us, uh, all of the IHI staff, to think about rules, policies, or habits that we think might be getting in the way of our ability to deliver an optimal experience for those that we serve as well. Uh, and if anyone's interested in finding out what we learned, we'd be happy to share it too. So as uh, I think Carolyn and, and Kate and Cheryl so richly described, within one week, the Leadership Alliance sort of as a whole, in which IHI was tracking, there were hundreds upon hundreds of responses that were offered by patients and family members, as well as clinical and non-clinical staff. And they, they really focused in, in f- uh, five key areas. There were rules related to policies and regulations, ones related to patient and family experience, rules related to workflow processes, rules related to staff experience, and the final one uh, were rules related to culture and mindset. And those were a bit more like habits uh, that, that many people had. And before we did this week in January, we had a sense that a lot of rules would be around policies and regulations. So we thought things like the three-day rule, which is uh, the CMS rule that requires a three-day inpatient stay for certain parent, uh, patients to qualify for a skilled nursing facility stay, or rules that were related to uh, the burdensome uh, collection and reporting of measures. We thought that almost all of the rules that we get were going to be related to that. And don't get me wrong, there were a lot of there was a lot of suggestions about eliminating the three-day rule and eliminating a lot of these burdensome uh, measures that weren't actionable for improvement. They definitely existed. But what we found was that a lot of the rules that were submitted were not, in fact, state or federal regulations. These were rules that were very much in the control of healthcare leaders. And they were ones that the organizations themselves created. And, you know, we think a lot about, we hear a lot and are working a lot on issues about burnout and resiliency. And so it's interesting, when you ask the staff, what are the rules that are getting in the way? And remember, we said getting in the way of a, of a good experience for patients or for staff. So many of the rules that staff surfaced were rules related to things that they felt were inhibiting their ability to best attend to the comfort of patients and families, that it inhibited their ability to alleviate the emotional, physical, and financial suffering of patients. They brought up rules like, why do patients and families have to pay for parking when they're in the hospital? It's already a stressful and expensive uh, occurrence. Why can't patients take their medications that they got from home if it's the same medications that we have here? Um, Things like, why can't we, and I think we heard about this um, earlier, why can't we communicate with patients and family members over the phone or via text? So time and time again, when staff were asked, they talked about rules that inhibited their ability to put patients first. And so I think as we as we went through all of these rules at IHI and also when we brought it back to the Alliance, they were really illuminating and helped galvanize them to think about action that they could take individually and also actions that they could take collectively as an alliance. And so the approaches to action really fell into about three categories. The first action is really around seeking clarity. So there were a lot of rules, and again, I think Cheryl mentioned this, there were a lot of rules that weren't actually rules at all, but myths or the familiar, well, this is just the way we've always done things. So there's a great opportunity to just debunk those myths and clarify. And then there were others that really did require more clarity. So there was a lot around the interpretations of HIPAA, for example. So those truly, you need clarity to be able to take action. The second action is around engaging in care and process redesign. Things like eliminating visiting hours. So we came back and said, you know, eliminating visiting hours came up a lot in these rules. And we know that many of you have already solved this. And so health partners, one of our alliance members volunteered to step up and said, we'll share, we'll teach you how we eliminated visiting hours across our entire system. So there was an opportunity for that, that peer sharing and learning that allowed them to engage in redesign. And leaders really embrace this notion of, well, if we as leaders created these rules, then surely we should be the ones to help change those rules. 
And, and the final approach to action is really around advocacy. So there are some rules that are beyond the control of an individual or an organization. Things like the three-day rule, for example, is not something that any one organization can choose to just eliminate. And that then requires collective voice and advocacy to really engage with policymakers, uh, payers, key stakeholders to enact change at the state, local, federal level. Okay, that's very, very good. Thank you, Sarnia. And that's an interesting contrast, perhaps, to what Cheryl was saying, which was very actionable things and things that could happen in the next, you know, three to six months. Um, but the whole range uh, mm-hmm. is in there. All right, we're going to now, uh, thanks, and we're going to hear now from Rhonda uh, out in the state of Washington. I think one of the themes uh, that you dealt with at Kittitas was uh, things that actually were some of those myths. Uh, this is sort of the way we've always done it. Or things that just people didn't understand. Why are we always doing it that way? So, Rhonda, we'll hear from you, and then we'll go to the chat and open it up to uh, our audience today. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Um, I think I'm here representing uh, small rural hospitals, because up until now you've heard from larger academic medical centers or large health centers, but I can share with you that this also does work in a small hospital as well. We're a 25-bed critical access hospital located in the center of Washington State, about um, two hours southeast of Seattle. And we've always been on a long quest for quality and have been very fortunate to be recognized both as a top 20 critical access hospital and um, a top 50 critical access hospital by Becker's Healthcare. And I think it's because we do participate in things with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and we do um, what we can to try to improve the quality of care here. Um, I wanted to talk about some of the rules that need clarity, as Serenia mentioned. And the first rule that I'll share with you, uh, myth-busting is how that's also um, known, became to be known with the Leadership Alliance. Um, Carolyn and Kate mentioned the first rule that um, was a myth that I was able to bust in our organization, and that is that we could not send home um, insulin pens uh, or inhalers or those types of take-home medications with patients. Uh, that was felt that um, by our staff that it's, of course, very wasteful and it leads to an increased cost of care. And one of the triple aims is to make health care more affordable. And we really felt like we needed to be, you know, better stewards with our patients' medications. But our staff definitely had the belief that this was a violation of, of the Board of Pharmacy and that we would be cited if they um, found out that we were sending those home with patients. So I ended up calling our um, Board of Pharmacy in Washington State. Um, I talked to the inspector that comes to our facility, and I told them that I was working with the Leadership Alliance and probably did a little name-dropping, including Don Berwick. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he did listen whenever he heard that, and he um, informed me that, you know, that's incorrect that we could indeed send those home with patients as long as they were properly labeled with an outpatient label rather than the inpatient pharmacy label that we typically have on the hospital side of things. And the patient would also have to have that um, education with a pharmacist just like you do whenever you pick up a prescription at a pharmacy. So that's, you know, very doable. It would simply take a printer and it would take either pharmacy time going down to speak to our patient before we sent them home with an insulin pen um, or an inhaler. Or we could even do, uh, do a virtual visit with them if we give them a tablet and have them pharmacist can even remain then in the pharmacy to do that type of education. So that was one of our first myths that we were able to debunk. Um, the next one had to do with our laboratory, and, you know, staff really want to have a, a good work environment, and we want them to have a good work environment and to be healthy, and they wanted to have covered water at their desk, but it was um, very much believed that, no, you can't do that because you're in a laboratory, so you will be cited again by the Department of Health if you have any water nearby. Um, so I, again, called our our inspector that knew actually our lab. She had just been here, and we had just recently had our lab inspection. And I told her um, what the concerns were from the staff. And staff were really worried about this. I probably had 10 people comment on that. One particular thing, we want to have water at our desk. Um, and she said, absolutely, that is not a regulation, that you can have a covered drink in your area as long as you aren't in an area that's receiving specimens. So I think a, a real regulation um, 
not being able to have water, food, or drink in an area that is processing or receiving specimens had just morphed into include the entire laboratory. So we were able to um, immediately let the lab staff know, yes, those of you that are just working in the reception area, you can certainly have covered water at your desk, and, and that's fine. So uh, hopefully those things have made the staff a little bit happier um, and made it a little bit better workplace. Fantastic. Thank you, Rhonda. These are such great examples, and I know they're all part of very rich stories and journeys, and we appreciate that our panelists and you, the audience, understand that we kind of picked out some things uh, very, you know, kind of selectively just to give you a a flavor of of what went on here. So we hope you all have some questions uh, to sort of get at more details, and we hope you're sort of revving up here to think about, hmm, what, how might we carry out something similar? So, uh, John, uh, would you remind people how to use the chat and to make sure all of us see all the questions? Yeah, make sure that your uh, questions and comments are directed to all participants in the send to bar in the bottom of the right-hand corner of the chat. Okay, very good. All right, we have a first question, and uh, just fire away, folks, uh, as we get underway here. And if you've done anything similar to this, by the way, you might not have called it breaking the rules, but if you uh, feel that you've, you're kind of in the neighborhood of something like like this, let us know. Uh, we're, we're curious about any sorts of initiatives uh, like this. So Bill is asking, how were patients and families engaged in helping to identify rules that got in their way? Um, Sarah, do you um, maybe just speak to that, but maybe help me point who everyone, it seems, got some input from patients and families, which I think actually speaks volumes about the fact that organizations are doing this uh, a whole lot more. So we heard heard that theme. So maybe, uh, all right, Carolyn, let, let's let's turn to you for that for starters. Uh, automatically, you were going to ask patients and families. How did that come about, and um, in what way did you get the feedback? Thanks. Well, you know, we I think part of uh, this really came out of uh, you know we've had we've heard from patients already. You know, why do I have to pay for this? you know, expensive eye drop, uh, you know, when I, I can uh, bring in my own from home. We'd already heard this. So it just seemed like a natural bridge for us to begin asking our patients. And it was a great experience for our student. You know, Kate uh, modeled for her how to actually ask the questions. Some patients really said, gee, I, I, there's nothing. Everything is great. Uh, but those patients that did have concerns, some of the things were exactly those things that we had suspected all along. Okay, very, very good. Uh, Rhonda, what about you? Uh, How did you go about, um, was it just automatic that you would get input from patients and families as well? Yes, it is. We have a patient and family advisory council as well, and then we also involve patients and families in our rapid process improvement workshops. And so it's just natural for us to um, solicit from patients and families. Okay, good. And Cheryl, what about you? We solicited um, mostly through our survey process, which was made available on our public website. And we also had uh, the hero hero banner that was made uh, on the second slide that I had presented. We have a large screen and a very active lobby space, and so we had that banner up there so patients could um, see that this event was happening. And in some of our clinical areas, we have tablets for intake and for various kind of surveys that happen. So we're able to put these sorts of things on those tablets and the patient can can choose to participate if they want while they're waiting for their appointment. Okay, sounds good. All right, interested uh, audience and uh, other questions. In the meantime, I'm going to ask uh, Sarenya, what happened that you couldn't have predicted? I mean, you had an idea uh, that, and uh, there you were. I've seen these spreadsheets. It's kind of an amazing array of stuff. Um, I was struck by the degree to which staff are really, you sort of got at this, 
concerned about some of the same things that patients and families find very, very irritating. And people don't, it's not always easy to talk about that uh, because people sometimes respond to patient and family frustrations by sort of presenting the rule and apologies, et cetera, and can't necessarily bend it. Um, so maybe that was a surprise. But I'm just curious uh, what might have happened that you wouldn't have predicted. I should have thought you were going to ask me that question and prepared something. And <laughs> That's of course, okay. Of course I didn't. Well, but, you, can, uh, you can think about well, it. Well, yeah. uh, what I think surprised me the most that perhaps shouldn't have surprised me, but was how much the Leadership Alliance members embrace this challenge. This is not, I said it's a simple question. It's a very simple question. It is incredibly difficult to ask that question. As a healthcare leader, you are putting out there, what rules do you think we should break? Understanding that you're going to take action on that. I think that takes a, a lot of courage and that so many Leadership Alliance members said, yes, we will do this. We think this is the right thing. And and look at the responses, hundreds of responses, as you said, that Excel sheet, uh, you know, ev- everyone bringing that, um, bringing that information back to us. They fully embraced this challenge and this notion. And I think that... Um, it surprised me the extent to which they did and how courageously they did it. All right. That's really great. A couple things coming up on chat. People are interested in the covered drinks and where else covered drinks uh, may be allowed. Sarah, I, I, yeah. one of the, so I just have to say, one of the other things that was really interested, or interesting and why it was nice to do this in a collaborative like the Alliance is we saw we didn't really we saw that coming from a number of different organizations so all of the alliance members sent their spreadsheets to us and then we put them into a master spreadsheet so we could figure out what the themes were and to figure out where we might be able to share and learn with one another and that idea about covered drinks came up in five or six of the the members and so that was one that we wouldn't have predicted and it was nice that we could what we could learn from Rhonda uh, could be shared across and so other organizations that were facing that same challenge could do it as well interesting thank you wonderful uh, comment here uh, from Marianne who's also from uh, Canada Hamilton Health Services and talking about breaking rules as far as allowing children to come into adult ICUs uh, greater access for pets uh, in in healthcare in the palliative care care setting, um, and uh, we appreciate that. If you also are involved in uh, uh, some of these same types of things, uh, let us know. Um, I'm curious, I, I guess... Uh uh, the let me go back um, uh, over there to Carolyn and Kate. Perhaps was there anything really surprising that you might not uh, have predicted? I don't know what sorts of assumptions everybody had. Uh, did you think, oh, I know what everyone's going to say, and actually were surprised? Yeah, there actually there actually were. There were several. I think one of the things that I was surprised at is we've ro- rolled out policies and stuff in the past that people really don't understand or they thought that it was something and it wasn't like our visiting hours. We had no visiting hours, but people were still holding on to, you know, visiting hours. So I think just by looking at this, we've been able to put out more education about why we actually do things. You know, why, you know, is it for safety? Is is it just because or is it like a state regulation? That's been a huge part of this. Okay. Was anybody worried about too much negativity? Uh, that it, it would become sort of uh, unleashing <laughs> sort of, I don't know, staff irritation on a number of things and morale or and anything like that. Anyone on the panel um, uh, have thoughts about that? Feel free to speak up. This is Helen, and I might just start that off. I, I Jump in. That, um, yeah, this is Helen. Can you hear me? Yes, please. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So um, I think the, the lesson learned there for us is actually uh, asking people to speak up and then addressing problems really helps connect with joy at work. And so a lot of times these rules that are coming up are the things that, if you will, irritate people each and every day. And um, And so the ability to actually get involved, surface them, and have them responded to is an amazing satisfier for Joy at Work. Uh-huh. That sounds really, really good. Anyone else? Um, this is Rhonda. I wanted to say that we really um, wanted to keep this going, and I believe um, Cheryl mentioned that as well. So we've actually built this into our recognition program, and if, if our um, employees continue to come up with fabulous ideas, we can actually reward them uh, with, uh, monetarily um, because we really wanted to encourage them to be creatively thinking about um, 
improving their work for our patients and also for themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so instead of it being negative, we want it to be positive. Okay, sounds good. I'm curious about leaders and um, whether sort of leaders in your organization uh, were surprised. Uh, I asked before whether anybody was a little nervous uh, about kind of bumping along with something called breaking the rules. Um, Did this all fit with leaders and culture in in your organizations? Uh, And any suggestions for places where maybe somehow this this might be, you know, rattle a few few nerves here and any ideas? Uh, let me ask you, um, I'll, I'll, I'll head over to you, Cheryl. Well, it, it's interesting because we had a few people on our leadership team that said, uh, let's take the risk, let's do this. And, um, and several skeptics probably that, um, you know, were up for trying but weren't sure that we were going to get the response, especially if we were going to use a survey approach because we know that we tend, you know, to have sometimes low response rates to these kinds of surveys. So then when, um, when within the first two days we had uh, responses just rolling in, people were really positive, really happy and have been willing to take this on to the next step. Like tomorrow, for example, my CEO will be at hosting a, a town hall for the organization, and breaking the rules for better care is one of the topics that will be being addressed and um, communicating to staff some of the things that are happening here. So I think it's uh, overall we've been uh, very fortunate. It's been so positive. Thanks, Cheryl. And uh, maybe I'll have some others address that also about leaders. But since I've got you, I, I did want to ask you, what are some of the the, um, the easy wins that uh, you know that uh, um, Women's College Hospital chose those sort of easy sure, wins for Matt. three I, to six I, months. I yeah, I outline them on my second slide there, um, and uh, you know I'll just throw out the t- the top uh, five or six. So the first one was in this new building, there was a bit of a gap in access to water for patients in the clinical wait spaces. Um, so that is something that we are moving forward on um, um, in terms of making sure that every single space has that uh, the fountains, the access to water, that is uh, that kind of implementation. Another one was around wayfinding signage. As I said, we just had moved into a new hospital, and, um, and that wayfinding signage piece has actually got us now engaging patient wayfinders. Uh, we're going through the organization with patients and having them uh, participate and contribute to exactly what would be most helpful uh, so that we have that. Of, of course, we've done some of that before, but it just uh, came up enough that we knew we needed to do more. Uh, I already talked a bit about uh, online records, lab tests, scheduling, and of course, through EPIC and MyChart implementation, we're addressing that. There was um, there was comments about evening and weekend uh, access, particularly to our imaging services. And um, we are, in fact, um, for a, a pilot period of time, uh, trying uh, 24-7 access to these imaging services. And then there were some very simple, um, some of our clinicians said, hey, the equipment that we're using, like like very specifically, saline locks and the vacutainer tubes, um, you know, the equipment's okay, but it's not great, and it's we're having some uh, excess waste, and we think we could really uh, improve the patient experience if we could use this version of these pieces of equipment. And, and so, of course, that's a very simple thing, and we're willing to try it. And uh, so those are some examples of things that we're moving forward on quickly. Thank you very much, Cheryl. So, Helen, you obviously, you told a story. Um, here we are, uh, kind of now a couple of months uh, later in the spring. You, you told it in the, you know, deep into winter. And uh, what, what sorts of thoughts do you have about the fact that it sort of sparked uh, this type of uh, effort here, and uh, it must be very gratifying, and uh, I don't know, how does this kind of come back to Memorial uh, in, in some fashion? Oh, well, I think, uh, thanks. Uh, you're very humbled, and really, the Alliance is a place where lots of great people come together with thoughts, and I, you know, honestly, I probably just said the right thing at the right time, and and it got it got something going, and Saranya picked it up. Um, but but I think it is just this this great idea of while we're all working on population health and triple aim, um, that that kind of fourth plank of of joy at work and making things easy for people. This is another great thing to do, and I really do hope that 
you know, we'll continue to learn from this. And I picked up so many ideas from the folks on this call today. Um, and I, I just hope that everybody picks this up. And if you haven't done it yet, you can start at any time. Well, thanks very much. Uh, so, Sarnia, uh, what what is the Leadership Alliance? Uh, you've got a lot. You've amassed some information and material and uh, rolling along. And uh, John's going to also uh, show a slide in just a minute about kind of year three for the Alliance, which will actually begin in the fall, but starting to think about it. Uh, how does this breaking the rules and the information you gathered, how does it continue to kind of resonate within the Leadership Alliance and any plans at all for the information. Sure, Matt. So we collected all of these ideas in January and went through a period of trying to uh, categorize them and think about the right actions. And, and we're moving towards action. So it was from collection to action, I guess. And so uh, and people are taking action, as you've heard from all of us on the call today in our individual organizations, debunking myths, clarifying. There are some rules that are just rules and they're there for a reason. So it's an opportunity to tie the rationale back to the rules. Uh, some of them that require clarity that are maybe which bit with bigger regulatory bodies we've reached out to those regulatory bodies to say here are our top 10 questions or here are the top 10 things we think are myths would you come on a call and help clarify this for us? And the receptivity has been great. So we will have a couple of calls coming up where some of these myths will be debunked or clarified. We are moving towards uh, a care process redesign, so that second category of action. Um, and as I said, we've already gotten started with that with the number of organizations that are talking about eliminating visiting hours and health partners stepping up and saying, we'll teach you how we did it. So that idea of that dynamic peer exchange to say, these are the topics that we most want to work on, like Cheryl's six topics that women's is going to work on, where in the alliance have they already solved that challenge and how can they learn from them to do it faster? Mm. And then the third is is advocacy. So a part of the Leadership Alliance is a piece around collective voice. So how do we take the collective insights and expertise and learning of alliance members to help shape and influence the national dialogue around health and healthcare? A number of issues came up that require advocacy, and so we're moving towards uh, we're moving towards that as well. Okay, thanks so much. So, John, good moment uh, just to mention uh, about the Leadership Alliance and Year Three coming up. We're still in <laughs> Year Two, uh, and lots going on. Uh, but uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, just like Sarah said, uh, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the IHI Leadership Alliance, uh, feel free to email IHI Alliance at IHI.org. We're enrolling for year three right now. It starts up in September of 2016. All right. Thanks a lot. I'd love to pick up on this theme a uh, couple of things. Uh, one is perhaps rules that are there for good reasons. Um, I'm just wondering if that came up at all in your organizations, as sort of an opportunity uh, to clarify uh, that it wasn't or isn't about rigidity or people trying to make anything harder, either for staff or patients and families. I'm, I'm curious if anyone has any examples in that department. seems like it was a great opportunity to also better understand uh, some of the things that are done uh, that actually uh, are there for a reason. Uh, I don't know if that's a, a crowd stopper or not, but any, anyone uh, f- find some of those things at all? I can comment to that, Magic Cheryl. Um, I'm just thinking of one off the top of my head that came up for us. Is a lot of people had uh, suggestions around uh, smoother referral processes. So, for example, if a um, patient was going to be seeing a specialist um, and they had been referred over one year ago by their primary care physician, why is it? Why do they have to go through the whole referral process again? And and you know what is that about? Now. As it turns out here in Canada, that actually relates to some OHIP funding, and, and we we checked into that. Is it a myth? Is it a real rule? But in order for the physician to get uh, paid through OHIP funding, then that w- that is actually the rule. So um, whether or not that's one that could be changed, um, you know, at a larger level or not, uh, is still uh, under discussion. But that, in fact, was one that we, uh, as the hospital organization, couldn't, in fact, uh, address right off. And what does that acronym stand for? I just want to make sure uh, what you refer to. Right. Yeah. That is the uh, Ontario Health Insurance Plan, and, and because we are publicly funded, that is how doctors in Ontario um, get paid um, fees. 
Very good. Thank you very much. That's very helpful. Here's, uh, before we start getting to wrap-up, a great question from uh, Madeline. I'm interested on the HR management plans used to help staff become comfortable with flexibility and responsiveness in being a continually changing environment. That's a great question, sort of whether some of this might have that sort of unifying or underlying that staff <laughs> rules are there for a good reason, uh, we're, we're sure, in healthcare, and yet we're also asking people to be thinking outside the box and maybe have some flexibility uh, and sort of open up your minds, which can perhaps for some staff may be very used to that and being creative and speaking up, and other staff may be less so. I don't know whether, um, and anyway, it's a good and interesting question. I don't know if we can get to it or, or not. Anyone have any thoughts on that? Do you think your your staff uh, sort of maybe even gained a little bit more flexibility uh, as a result of taking part in this and that that will continue? Anyone? That's a, maybe a showstopper there. Okay. Well, <laughs> go ahead. Sarah, well, um, yeah. well, I think that part of it is that rules were created with the best of intentions, but times have changed as well. So uh, we were on a call. We were on, We had a breaking the rules call, uh, a work group. You know, there's a small work group within the alliance that's working on these issues yesterday, and we talked about things related to HIPAA or the SNF three-day rule and things that were created before there were certain changes, like HIPAA was created before text messaging and email communication was so rampant as it is today. So it, it's not, it's an opportunity to really, one, reflect on the fact that that these rules were created and coming to it with this idea that rules were created with the best of intentions. But again, I I go back to the leaders and the fact that the leaders of these organizations are willing to say, let's think about whether whether or not there are changes that we can make within our organizations. Let's think about whether or not there are rules that can be broken. That coming from the top and that message coming from leaders and modeling of that behavior, I think could have a really profound impact on patients, families, and also on the staff that work for them. Okay, sounds very, very good. All right, um, I'm going to just go around the horn very, very quickly. Uh, Rhonda, sort of any parting uh, thoughts uh, if we watch this space? <laughs> uh, and Anything we might uh, look to, anything in kind of uh, coming up? Well, I think I would respond to the prayer question about the HR management plans and helping the staff to be comfortable. And I think that as you really start engaging the staff and asking them questions and allowing them to see that, wow, that that really is a problem for you, let's solve it, and letting them be the ones to help solve it, I think that that really does help engage them and help um, them bring it to light. Fantastic. Thank you much, so much, Rhonda, for being part of the program. Uh, Carolyn and Kate, any, any parting words for us today? I would just encourage you to just do it. Um, it. This has been such an exciting process. It was really easy to do, and it was so helpful. The information we received was valuable. Um, there's a lot to sort out when you get it all back, but I think it's so important, as, as Rhonda said, to engage the staff and to ask them. Uh, it, it's, it's really, really powerful. Wonderful. I want to thank you, Carolyn and Kate, both uh, for your participation today. Uh, Helen, any, uh, any parting thoughts from you? One last thought perhaps hasn't been expressed is um, really to engage the whole workforce um, as well as patients, so physicians as well. Uh, so we are actually working this process through our physician society uh, to really ask them what their ideas are. So I'll just add that to the conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Helen. Thanks for, um, you know, what you, you uh, uh, definitely uh, lit a spark uh, for something very, very important. And we so appreciate it and that we could share uh, the story today. And uh, Cheryl, uh, kind of any great stuff that you shared uh, from Women's College Hospital. I, I really hope a lot of people look up what's going on in, in the, the organization. And, um, and any final words for today? We just have so much fun here uh, at Women's College Hospital, and what I'd say about this is that it actually was uh, a very simple initiative to get off the ground, and that the momentum and the impact uh, on in an ongoing way is actually um, quite large, much larger than we expected, and um, this is something that we're absolutely going to be continuing to move forward. It's, it's a big supporter of our triple aim initiatives here, too. 
Fantastic. So big thank you to Cheryl, to Rhonda, to Helen, to Carolyn, and Kate, and Sarnia. Uh, everybody works very hard with me behind the scenes uh, to put all of this together for a WIHI. So I thank you all, and thanks for being such a great audience. I wanted, John, to just sh- I share a screenshot of IHI's, uh, what was going on in IHI's Facebook page the other day, uh, just to give an idea. You can ignore the little photo of me there, but uh, all these wonderful photos of folks who were chiming in about rules that they themselves uh, would like to see broken or uh, discussed in their own organizations. And you can keep that thread going on Facebook if you'd like. Uh, next up on WIHI, we're going to, on April 21st, we're going to be talking about the opioid crisis and how healthcare and the community can act. Uh, that information is now live on our website, and we'll hope you'll take a look. A reminder, you can download the chat from today and all the slides we use. They'll also be up on our website as of tomorrow. Tomorrow morning. There's also a nice survey that we always hope you'll fill out so we can continue to make this a good program for you. Again, check out the archive pages on IHI.org. You can also find the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. If you subscribe under Institute for Healthcare Improvement, you could also uh, write a review if you like what you hear. Uh, so again, any questions whatsoever, you can always email info at IHI.org. There are other people who help make WIHI possible each and every broadcast. They include John Gothier, Matt Morse, Jameson Case, Vicki Minden, Jesse McCall, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, Ruth James, and Haley Ladd. And I want to also thank Jess Russo today from the Leadership Alliance team for her help on Twitter. So you all know this, but I love to say it each and every time. It's my privilege, sincere privilege, to host a program that's about this kind of spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. That's me. Good day, everyone. Thank you.